You glad to be here today? Hey, kids, are you glad to be in here today? No. I heard that murmurs, all right? Take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 21, all right? We're going to talk today about uh, something very, very important, and I want you to have in your mind some one truth as we leave here today, and we'll get to that in a minute, but we're going to talk about um, a passage of Scripture that we talked about last week, if you were here, um, those of adults and teenagers that were here with us last week, we're going to talk about a passage of Scripture we talked about last week, and then secondly, um, what we're going to do is we're going to say, okay, so what does that mean for us? We're going to kind of transition, and I want to start with a very spiritual question, so I need to ask this very spiritual question, it's a deep question, I need to be ready for this, how many of you in this room like to fish? I didn't ask eat fish. I mean, like, actually go catch the fish. Let me see your hands, all right? How many of you like to fish? All right, tell me why you like to fish. What do you like about fishing? It's peaceful. I've had two services, and the only answer I've gotten is peaceful in both, all right? Somebody else yelled something? You like to eat it? Got that? In the first service, I asked uh, Alex uh, Castro, said he liked to fish because he liked to eat. And I said, well, what kind of fish do you like to eat? He said, the fish that tastes good. I said, that's... That's it, right? Fishing is a part of our culture. Um, there have been great works of art about it, great literary works like Old Man in the Sea or movies like River Runs Through. And in fact, fishing was the theme of one of the introductions of the one of the greatest uh, television sitcoms in history um, when this guy and his son go fishing, right? How many of you in this room have never seen this show? We're going to have Kids Ministry Andy Griffith Marathon. Tori York, you've never seen? No. How many of you in this room know Andy Griffith, right? Thank you very much. I see those hands. I appreciate it, right? Or, or, but not all fishing trips turn out like they're supposed to. Sometimes you get something a little more than you bargained for, like the 1970s movie Jaws, right? And sometimes fishing trips get bad raps. As was described by the great poet, Brad Paisley. Well, I love her, and I love to fish. Today she met me at the door and said I would have to choose. If I hit that fishing hole today, she'd be packing all her things, and she'd be gone by noon. Well, I'm going to miss her when I get home. But right now, I'm on this lake shore, and I'm sitting in the sun. I'm sure it'll hit me when I walk through that door that I'm going to miss her. Oh, looky there, I've got a bite. You know it's a great poem when looky there is in the midst of it, right? Well, not all fishing trips are um, are without controversy. Sometimes they cause division. Sometimes they people go and they don't really think they should go. Sometimes things happen on the trip. My dad was here yesterday. We... Uh, we had a fun day cooking barbecue and, and a couple of things that my dad did while we were growing up a lot uh, was cook barbecue and, and play baseball. But a, another thing that we did occasionally was we would go fishing. And dad had this guy that worked with him down in the truck shop of Colonial Rubber Company. And I don't know if you've ever been in a truck shop in a rubber manufacturing plant, but it's not the cleanest place. And I mean that there's literally rubber black stuff all over the place. And the, his, uh, his friend that I I knew was always dirty and I don't mean like smelled bad he just was always had that carbon black is all over him and his name was Pee Wee Pee Wee Foster 
And dad said, Pee-wee's got a pontoon boat and he wants to take us out on the lake and we're going to go fishing. I said, all right. So it was dad and me and Pee-wee. And we get in the pontoon boat and dad's driving the motor and Pee-wee's on the front and I'm in the middle. And we're driving out and and Pee-wee says, this spot right over here is the best spot on this little lake. He called it a lake. It was more like a little pond in the back of somewhere. We're going to go right over here. We're going to find a place. We're going to fish right here. It's a great spot. So we start the boat over to that direction. And Pee-wee in the front just all of a sudden goes stiff and says, turn the boat around. Turn the boat around. I was like, what's going on, Pee-wee? I don't, I don't understand. Jimmy Larson, turn the boat around. I'm going to say things your son does not need to hear. Turn the boat around. And I looked up in front of Pee-wee, and um, now we're in West Tennessee. And in West Tennessee, there's a particular snake that's pretty prevalent in the kind of the back waters of West Tennessee that are water moccasins, all right? And I look up Cottonmouth, and it was wrapping itself around a tree limb coming right at Pee-wee. Now, here's the thing. As most people that are sane of their mind, Pee Wee Foster was deathly afraid of snakes. And he said to my dad, this is the last time I'm telling you, turn the boat around. And my dad was inexperienced with this particular pontoon boat and hit forward instead of reverse. Luckily, he steered right past it and the snake went right past Pee-wee's head. And he did utter a couple of words that dad told me never to repeat. And so... Not all fishing trips turn out like you want them to, right? We're going to talk today about the most controversial, written about, debated fishing trip in history. And it's in the Bible. Because a group of guys, after Jesus had been raised from the dead, decided that the way they were going to spend the next few moments of their life was they were going to go fishing. John chapter 21. It says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias and revealed himself in this way. So this is the third time he's getting himself. Again, he reveals himself to him and he's going to say, here's who I am. He's going to reveal himself to his disciples. Next verse. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's son, and two others of his disciples were together. Now, this is the same story that we began with last week as we talked about this idea of amnesty, of forgiveness. That God is wanting to forgive us. In fact, last week we talked about Peter's forgiveness from Jesus and how that God pursues us with an all-encompassing, never-ending, always-pursuing love. But I want you to notice, even in the very beginning of this description of who the disciples are that are there, we see even a measure of forgiveness there. Is there any name that stands out post-resurrection besides Simon Peter that's a part of this group? Thomas. Now, why would Thomas stand out? How do we know Thomas? What's his most common nickname in Scripture? Doubting Thomas. Thomas is the one called the twin who would say, I must see Jesus. I must touch his hands. I must feel the nail prints. I can't believe that a man raised from the dead unless I see it for myself. And for most of history, Thomas has gotten kind of a bad reputation because he's a guy that wouldn't just believe. But the truth is, Thomas had already been reconciled to the rest of the disciples and to Jesus because he's a part of this group. They're around in Galilee. Now, they get a bad rap for going back to Galilee, but they were told to. Jesus said, go to Galilee. I'll be there. I'll meet you. And Simon Peter looks around at the situation and says, I'm going fishing. 
We're coming with you, they said. And they went out and got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Now, here's why this is the most controversial fishing trip in history. It's because people say they shouldn't have been fishing. They just went back to what they were doing before. Jesus had been raised from the dead. They ought to be doing something else. They ought to be out witnessing. They ought to be telling people about it. But there are a couple of problems with giving these guys too hard of a time. First of all, Jesus had told them to go to Galilee and to wait on him. And they were. They were doing what he asked them to do. Secondly, whatever their motives for doing this, they were going to do something productive and while they were waiting. Now, there are some people that say, well, they, they were going back to their old life. They were going back to their fishing ways. But we see pretty quickly that that was never their full intention. It's not like they argued with Jesus about, can we just go back to fishing? They were immediately ready to follow him. And we have to think about this. What were their jobs before they started to follow Jesus? Most of these guys. They were fishermen, right? So how did they make a living before they started to follow Jesus? They fished. When they started following Jesus, they didn't fish that much anymore. So how did they make a living when they were following Jesus? How did they support themselves? How did they eat? How did they have lodging? How did they take care of themselves? Well, by all accounts, there are a couple of ways. First of all, we know they had some money because we know that Judas was what? The treasurer. Okay, you don't have a treasurer. Well, I guess you could have a treasurer if you don't have any money, but they probably had some money to count. Secondly, when you're with Jesus, people feed you and offer for you to stay all kinds of places. It wasn't like they had to go get a room down at the Holiday Inn Express. They didn't have to pay $6 for a cup of coffee. People took care of them. Jesus dies on the cross. The resurrection has happened, but it's not public. They haven't announced it to hundreds of people yet. And so if they are looking for people to shelter them, to feed them, that's no longer there. And so if you're a fisherman who is back in your hometown with nowhere to stay or eat, what do you do to find something to eat? You go fish. You do that because you're supporting yourself. We're coming with you, they told him, and they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Now, you know what that word means in the original language? Nothing. Like, not a thing. And that would have been real unusual. See, a lot of times we read this and we're like, well, he's had a bad night of fishing. I mean, I've had that. I've been over there. I've cast my line out. We got there. Nothing on the reel. Done it for four, five, six hours. Nothing really happened. But here's the difference for most of us in this room between us and them. First of all, we're not professionals. Secondly, they weren't fishing with a rod and reel. They bought at Bass Pro Shop. How were they fishing? Nets. And if you're in a lake stocked with fish... Now, they obviously, they hadn't been artificially stocked, but it was the most one of the most plentiful places for fish in the area. If you're in that lake and you're dropping your net all night long into the water, you would think at some point a fish is going to find its way into your net. Like, this was highly unusual for them. Extremely unusual for them. And they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore. So the light starts to come up. And that day and time you fished at night. Like a lot of you get up very early in the morning, kind of at dawn or right before dawn to fish. They fished at night because it was better fishing. The disciples did not know who it was. And Jesus called to them, friends, (laughs) you didn't catch anything, did you? 
Now, in some circles, this would be called rubbing salt into the wound, right? Like, how'd you do last night? Like, for instance, let's talk about one of those controversial fishing trips. If you and your spouse were disagreeing or having a conversation about whether you should go fishing or not, and you decided you were going to go fishing regardless of what your spouse thought at the moment, and you went fishing and you didn't catch anything, and you got home and your spouse says to you, so, what'd you catch? The word nothing is not what you want to say to them, right? Friends, you don't have any fish, do you? No. They cast your net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they do that. Scripture tells us in the next verse. They cast their nets over to the side. And when they do, they could not haul it in because of the large number of fish. And the disciple, the one who Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now here's what I want to tell you. We're going to look at one point out of this story and then we're going to talk about it for a minute, okay? And the one point out of this story goes back to that place where they fished all night and they caught nothing. They fished all night and they caught nothing. Because what it illustrates is a point that scripture makes over and over and over again. And it is simply this, that without Jesus, you can do nothing. And if you want to take anything away from that, whether you're an elementary school student, you're a a high schooler, you're a middle schooler, you're an adult, you're a college kid, well, whoever you are, if you want to take one point from this whole message today and write it down and remember it, it is this, that without Jesus, you can do nothing. In fact, I want to kind of instill that in you for a minute, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to respond, all right? And the question I'm going to ask is, without Jesus, what can you do? And you're going to respond. And I'm going to ask it again, and you're going to respond. And then I'm going to ask it a third time, and you're going to respond, absolutely. All right, so let's do it. All right, that was your practice round. You ready? Kids, help your moms and dads with this, because they don't always do very well when I do this with them in big church, all right? So kids, help them out, all right? Without Jesus, what can you do? Okay, we've got to get better. Without Jesus, what can you do? Without Jesus, what can you do? That's right. Nothing. If it was just here, you would say, well, that's stretching a little bit, Pastor. We're talking about a God's fishing. But if you look throughout Scripture, it's there all the time. If you've got your Bibles, one other place I want you to turn, and we're going to talk about it and be done. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Just a few pages back if you're in John 21. It's actually just a few days before John 21. This is just the night before um, the crucifixion. In fact, a little bit later uh, in the service, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And as we do, this is just moments before the Lord's Supper. They're just in the same time period as he's teaching them about what's coming around. And he says this in chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to. You remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me.
So on the night before he's to be crucified, Jesus gathers his disciples around and he's trying to teach them an important lesson. In fact, this is how important it is. He's just told them in chapter 14 that the enemy of this world is about to take control. He's not in control of Jesus, but the darkness is coming. In fact, he, in a very veiled reference, he says to them, your worst days, your darkest days are now, are right around the corner, are happening tomorrow. He says that after he talks about the vine and the branches in chapter 15, he tells them, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. What he's getting them ready for is some very serious, difficult times. And he wants them to understand. See, sometimes people read this about the vine and the branches and they get mystical and they get kind of weird about the whole thing. Like it's a, it's a, you know, a new age kind of feel to it. But that's not what Jesus is doing. What Jesus is doing, he is saying, very tough times are coming. It is going to be rough. The worst days of your life, they're going to persecute you. You're going to be killed basically for your faith. And in the midst of that, he says, if you want to survive in a world that is against you and against your faith, then you must Remain in me because apart from me, you can do nothing. This is not a calm, meditative moment. I I really did not know if they could make children's television more annoying than they already have. Going to get an amen from any parents in the house, right? And then this week, thanks to Anne-Marie Ball, my kids were introduced to Go Noodle. Yeah, and Marie's excited about this. How many of you here are familiar with Go Noodle? Well, we got some Go Noodle fans there. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. Go Noodle. How many of you have no idea what Go Noodle is? Praise be to God for you. All right. All right. Go Noodle is used by teachers in classrooms. It's good for study breaks. It's good for indoor recess. And it's good. In fact, in the first service, Denise Cologne, who's a retired principal, asked her if she knew about Go Noodle. She said, yes. I said, what do you think about Go Noodle? She said, it's good in short spurts. It is. And when it's played at your house for three hours straight, that's not short spurts. All right. But last night we're looking, because most of Go Noodle is them making silly words up to songs that you know in your head, and you're trying to figure out what the song originally was, and you can't figure it out, but now it's ridiculous, and now your kids are singing it all day long, not only when they're watching it, but around the house. And so you're in that moment, you're all that. Last night we're there, they're wanting to do Go Noodle. It's like 8 o'clock at night, it's bedtime. And they're looking at the playlist, and the playlist has, Calm Down Before Bed. That's what we're doing. I don't, it cannot be more annoying than what we have. And so we put it on, and the first thing is, it's just this weird kind of stuff. Have you done the calm down before you go to bed stuff? Okay, no, who knows? Alright, cause she doesn't listen to it. She puts headphones on her kids. She doesn't bear with it, alright? So, you're watching, and the first thing is, like, relax your breathing. Put your legs out. Now breathe in, and breathe out. And then, this is, now this is geared towards four, five, six year olds, okay? Then, all of a sudden, they have this picture of like a hundred lamps starting to float into the air. Okay? It looks like, have y'all seen Tangled, like the Tangled Light Ceremony? Like, it looks like that, and they're floating into the air. And they say, what in your life are you holding on to that you feel guilty about that you wish you could let go of? And I was like, what? And I look over at Maddie, she goes, I know what it is. I'm like, what are you holding on to? What are you guilty about? Right? Like, so I ask her, Maddie, what are you talking about? She goes, the first lie I ever told when I was three years old. Oh, what was that? She goes, I told Miss Megan Norman, that was our babysitter, that Ava was allergic to peanut butter because I didn't want her to have it. I said, well, you need to let that go, girl. Like, that's a long time ago. All right. 
But the picture was of these lamps kind of floating away. And they literally say to him, whatever it is that your guilt is, put it in your hand and release it. And Luke, who is supposed to be being calmed by this because it's bedtime, is laughing his head off. Like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever watched. They told me to release it, Dad, and let it go. And I'm like... I said, what do you feel guilty about? He goes, I'm nothing. Like, yeah, that's what I thought. All right. Like, nothing there. All right. And people read the I'm the vine stuff, and sometimes it gets turned into that kind of self-help. Well, just remain in Jesus. Stay connected. But it's more important and real than that. What Jesus is telling them is, not in a meditative, soulful moment, in the most difficult moments of your life, you will discover That without me, you can do nothing. And here's the issue. We like to think we can. And this is a message for those of us in this room that are believers in Jesus Christ. It's a message for those that aren't. Because those of us even that have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we think, Jesus, thank you for the salvation. I'll take it from here. My job, my family, my parenting... My social organization, what I do with my life, how I spend my money, how I spend my time, how I take care of things. I'll take care of it from here. And if you want to help along the way, man, that's awesome. I'd love that. And obviously what he's saying there is not that you can't physically actually do anything. What he means is you will not do anything of eternal significance in your marriage, in your family, in your parenting, in your school, in your work, in your social life, in sports, in academics. You will do nothing of lasting value outside of your relationship to Jesus Christ. Because the problem we have is the same problem we had before we were saved, those of us who are in relationship with Jesus. And the problem you have, if you're not in a relationship with Jesus, that God is in control of the whole universe. He is perfect and we are not. And we sin. Scripture says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us does something that God does not want continually on a regular basis and we don't ever measure up. No matter how hard we try, no matter how much effort we put into it, we don't measure up. I need help for a minute. I need an elementary student, a teenager, and an adult, all from different families. All right? So I need an elementary student. We got a a youth over here, so Tori York. All right? Now I need an elementary student. Come on, man. All right, we need an adult. An adult. Look at all those hands going up for the adults. Dean Smith, all right, thanks. Appreciate it, man. Come on. All right. I need y'all to come on up on stage. Now, here's the thing. You can root for whoever you want to root for in this little game. But I wouldn't root for Dean. But anybody else is good for. And this is going to be a test of athletic prowess. All right. So I need you, this is, a, this is a very official yellow line right here. I need you to line up behind the very official yellow line. All right? So over there. All right? There you go. All four of you go line up behind the yellow line over there. And this is going to be your goal. Your job is standing flat-footed to jump from that line to this line. Okay? You got your jumping shoes on? And if anybody does it, I do have prizes. Y'all don't know this, but Miss Ellie uh, Thomas hoards candy in her office, and I went and stole some today. 
And so we have Kit Kats and Reese's cups that were behind the door hidden from the staff for about a, a month. And so serves her right. They're getting taken away. All right. So you, true. All right. So if you jump from this line, one jump flat footed right here to that line, this is your reward. Both bags. All right. All right. Who's going first? You going first, man? Okay, good, Tori. Come on, Tori. All right? Yeah, so let's try as good as you can. Come on. As hard as you can. But, all, right, all right? You can't take four steps. All right, let's go right here. All right, we're going we're gonna to mark your progress right there, Tori. Okay. All right? Tori, that was like your eighth step, but there you go. All right? Good, man. Tell me your name again. Jaden. All right, Jaden. Come on, right here. You ready? You can swing those arms you want to. Get going really good, all right? Go, Jaden. Say go, Jaden. All right, ready? Go. Ooh, look at that. There may have been an extra step or two, but this is the NBA we don't call traveling, all right? All right. All right, tell me your name. Maddie. I love that name, Maddie. All right. Right there. You ready, Maddie? As good as you can, okay? Ready? All right. All right. We do call traveling on the adults. Come on, Dean. <laughs> hey, hey, flat footed is what I said. Flat footed. You adult, you understand that? No, like like so, together, not like getting them. Mm, like you know. Mm. Just launch it. Launch it. Just go. Oh, well, look at that. Good job. All right. So who went the farthest? Looks like Jaden and Maddie. But here's the problem. What was the goal? How close did you get? Not close at all, right? The goal was the goal. All right? Now, in the Bible, luckily, there's this thing called grace. So they're not going to get two bags, but we'll give each of them a piece of candy, all right? Y'all give them a hand for helping them. Which one do you want? Peace. Which one you want, Jamie? Kit, Kit Kat. Tori? Is that what you want, Maddie, or do you want that one? Okay, I'll go. Y'all give them a hand as they go. Now, here's the thing, okay? In our lives, when we try to do things without Jesus, we're like the people trying to jump from one end to the other. It's impossible. And it doesn't really matter how good you are or how close you get, you still hadn't made the goal. And scripture says that because of the sin in our lives, we never will. But here's the cool thing about what we read in chapter 15. Because it says, without me you can do nothing. But then he says at the very beginning, the first thing he says in chapter 15 is, I am the true vine. And what that means is, if you're looking for a solution to the problem we have, there is only one answer and it is Jesus. You see, God provided a way for us through Jesus Christ. When we who had messed up could not get to God, God provided a way. Jesus came. He lived a perfect life, a sinless life. He died on the cross for our sins and he was raised again from the dead on the third day for your salvation and mine. He gives us free, abundant life. 
Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the question from John chapter 15 and the question for you today is how will you respond to that reality? Because it says that those that remain in him, those that are in Jesus, saved by him, you'll produce fruit, you'll glorify God, you'll be assured of your place in eternity. But it says those that don't will be tossed out and thrown into the fire. It's a simple choice. But it's the most important decision that anyone ever makes. There's some of you here today that are not followers of Jesus Christ and you've been trying your best to jump from one to the other and you can't represent on this stage how far the distance is between where we are and where we need to be to have a relationship with God. You can't represent it in this country. You can't represent it in this world. And you've been trying to be a good person or to take care of yourself or to take care of your family. But you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. He's the only way. Some of you in this room are people who say, yeah, 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 but I've been religious. I've joined a church. I've been a part of a church. I've been a part of this church. Or I've even been baptized. But one of the things it talks about in John chapter 15 is if there's no evidence of your faith in your life, that you have to question whether you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It says if you're saved, if you're a follower of Jesus, there will be evidence in your life, in your priorities, in the way that you live, in your attitude, in the fruit that you have, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control will be part of your life and growing in your life. And if it's not there, you have to ask the question, am I a part of God's family? Am I saved? Don't let your name on the membership role of a church convince you that you're okay. I told this story in the first service. We're getting ready. Um, tonight, we have a, a church-wide community, fun time together, church-wide celebration. We're going to eat together. And so, man, we want you to be a part of that, whether you're part of our family or you're a guest with us. Come, bring some finger foods. We all just kind of have a good time together. There's going to be some barbecue from last night left over from the men's meat fest that we did. So there'll be some barbecue there tonight for that. And so come, ready to eat. But then part of what we do is we do a little business there. And one of the things we're going to do tonight is vote on messengers for the Southern Baptist Baptist Convention. Every year, all the Baptist churches that are part of some Baptist Convention send messengers. We get together, have a big meeting. I'm going this year. We have other people of our church going. But I remember the first year I went, I walked up to the table to register and I'd forgotten my registration slip, which is a big no-no. And I said, I'm sorry, I need some help. I don't have my registration. They what church are you part of? First Baptist Goodlesville. How many members do you have? I was like, I have no idea. None. I don't know. I don't have no idea. I don't know. They said, well, we can look that up for you if you can give us a couple of pieces of information. So we, they give them to you, all right? And this is not eight, nine years ago. And they said, all right, we have here that you have 1,621 members. And I said, um, could you find them or write, do you have a list of them? Because I don't know where they are, but they're not at our church, all right? Just because your name's on a membership roll doesn't mean you are attached to the vine of Jesus. Just because you can check off things that you've done that are good doesn't mean you're attached to the vine that is Jesus. The only way is to admit your own sin, believe in your heart that he is who he says he is, and commit and confess your life to him and turn it over to him. And the fruit will show you. 
few years ago at this church, I was talking to a young man who was asking about being baptized and we prayed together. He, he prayed the prayer to receive Christ. And then I, afterwards, when I talk with kids, usually I say, you got anything you want to ask me? Like, this is your shot. Ask the preacher anything you want to ask. He said, I do want to ask a question. I said, okay. He said, am I, so am I saved, like done, like good, never have to worry about it again? Here's the thing. As a pastor, I believe that if at that moment he meant it in his heart, he trusted Jesus with his life, he asked for forgiveness of his sins, that at that moment Jesus has saved him forever and he never has to worry about it again. But I'm a pastor, a fallible human being, and I don't know what went on in his heart. And so I said to him those words, I believe that if you believe in your heart, if you meant the prayer that we prayed and you asked Jesus to save you, absolutely, I believe that you're saved. He goes, but what do you think? And I said to him, I'll be able to answer that question better in 10 years than I can right now. Because if it's happened, if it's true, there will be fruit in the future. And if your life doesn't show fruit then you need to ask the question of whether you're saved. Christians, people that are followers of God in here, let me tell you, it's not just this message for people that aren't saved yet. Because here's the reality. Every one of us on every single day have to wake up and realize that we are still sinners in need of a Savior who can do nothing without the power given to us through the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus has done. And if you're trying to run your family or your business or your life or your athletic career or your academic career or you're trying to run um, your social engagements and friendships without Jesus, you're not doing anything. Because without Jesus, you can do nothing. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of response and the band's going to come play. I'm going to be standing down here. And if you're here today and you're an elementary school student or you're a teenager or you're an adult and you need to, for the first time, accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't even really know what those words mean. But you know something needs to change. You know you need to do something. Or if you do know what those words mean and you're ready for that, maybe you're ready to talk about baptism like Eleanor was just baptized, that you want to have that conversation. I'll be here. Uh, Kids, if you want your mom and dad to come with you, I know they'd be glad to come. Moms and dad, if you want your kids to come with you and you need to make that decision, they'll be glad to come. I'll be standing down here. I'd love to talk to you. If you're here and you're looking for a church home and you say, this is where God's leading us, then I'll be glad to talk with you. If you just need to come and pray. One of the things it talks about in the vine thing we didn't really get into is that even those of us that are followers of Christ have to be pruned every now and then. That you have to take things away that are inhibiting your growth, that are causing problems. And maybe there are some things in your life that need to be pruned. And this morning, you're saying, God, I'm ready to do that. I'm going to pray. The band's going to play. And then I'm going to ask you to respond. Would you pray with me?